On this week's Big Tech Show, you might not think it could happen to you, but our guest this week explains how a significant number of Irish people may be falling victim to romance frauds online. Victims can feel a misplaced sense of shame. People can blame themselves. They feel embarrassed. And so they don't want to tell family, friends. They don't want to report it to the police. In some cases, of course, the victims are already in relationships. They're married. They have an extra reason to keep that quiet. The Big Tech Show, available on all podcasts platforms. On the latest episode of Real Health with me, Carl Henry, I'm delighted to be joined by cardiologist Dr. Paddy Barrett, chatting all things cardiovascular disease. The way I look at this is that the the two statistics that everyone should really be aware of is cardiovascular disease is the leading cause of death globally and in most developed nations, but it's also the most preventable. 90% of it can be prevented at an early stage if you just follow the right steps and formula. So I look at it as a, a scary opportunity. As ever available on all podcast platforms. It's all right. It's all right. Let's say hello now to Professor Dolores Corhill. Hello, everyone. Can you hear me? Brothers and sisters, we are the change. Today, how did the former UCD professor become a leading COVID conspiracy theorist? You do not need masks, but it is well known from physiology that we need oxygen to live. And the masks clearly and verifiably reduce the oxygen that you take in to dangerously low levels. Anti-vaxxer Dolores Cahill has spent much of the last year and a half spreading misleading claims about the pandemic throughout Ireland and the rest of the world. I fear I haven't had evidence now, but say one third or half are injected. In 10 or 20 years' time, we could have that the whole generations are infertile. Freedom and truth! Freedom and truth! I'm Kevin Doyle, and you're listening to In Focus, the current affairs podcast from independent.ie. Today, Sunday Independent journalist Rodney Edwards, who has investigated the strange world of the immunologist whose false claims and wild assertions are having a potentially damaging effect on public health. Rodney, you can certainly see how people would trust Dolores Cahill. Her CV, as described by herself, is pretty stellar, cited by governments, um, lauded by academics. Um, she really is someone who has achieved a lot in her field. No, absolutely. She was once described as the superstar of Irish scientific research. You know, a, a well-respected academic, held in such high esteem by her peers in Ireland and elsewhere. And as well as being a member of scientific groups and bodies, Cahill's huge body of work has been cited almost 6,000 times in academic studies. And while she is still very much respected in some quarters, 
Her stance on COVID-19, which has seen her spread misleading claims over the last year and a half, has undoubtedly damaged her reputation. Prior to 2019, her colleagues at the University College Dublin, where she was professor up until last month, regarded her as a research-focused academic who kept a relatively low profile in its School of Medicine. But she first emerged as an outspoken COVID denier in March 2020, and has since made a number of inaccurate claims about the pandemic and its associated vaccines. And never one to admit she's been wrong, Cahill has in fact doubled down on those views in recent months. You can see how those who oppose the COVID restrictions, the lockdowns, the imposition as they see it of vaccines, would want someone like Dolores Cahill on their ticket to to bring them credibility in some ways. Yes, there are lots of movements who want her to speak at these events all over the world. She's addressed anti-lockdown events in Germany, Denmark, Switzerland, Scotland, and in Northern Ireland. And in September, she addressed a massive anti-lockdown demonstration on London's Trafalgar Square, which saw 32 people being arrested. And she has tried to turn some of that popularity within that space into politics, into electoral game, because she's actually ran for election in Ireland on three occasions. The first was back in 2019, when I suppose nobody outside perhaps of her peers really knew who she was. She ran as an independent in the European elections, but got less than 2% of the vote in the South constituency. She then joined the hard right Irish Freedom Party um, because she said they wanted to leave the European Union entirely. And she agreed with some of their views on immigration. Um, But again, that didn't really work out for her. She ran in Tipperary in the general election in 2020 and got just 521 votes. And more recently, I suppose, since she's come onto the public, uh, into the public mindset as a result of her COVID uh, speeches, she ran as an independent candidate in the Dublin Bay South by-election, where she got just 169 votes. But she did make headlines, not because of her views there, but because of her attempts to verify those votes. And my name is Dolores Cahill. I'm one of the election candidates and I want to supervise the vote. And no one has any authority to restrict our entry. Do you know if you restrict someone, it's actually rape under the law? Really? It is rape under the law. If you prevent someone from leaving or entering a building, I am a woman. Oh, yeah? You are a man. I don't know you. You are restricting my thing, my entry into this building. If you want to come in, all you have to do is put on a mask. Some of the biggest debates around the COVID emergency was this idea that big government and the establishment were trying to take away our freedoms, that they were forcing us into lockdowns, forcing us to work from home and stopping us from doing the ordinary everyday things that we might enjoy, like going to sports events, going to the pub. And Dolores Cahill saw that kind of public unease or public questioning sometimes of the measures being forced on us as a way to spread her message, which was effectively the gospel against COVID. Oxygen deprived people are easy to manipulate. If everybody, if everybody just stopped wearing masks, this would be over. If everybody just stopped wearing masks, this would be over. Rodney Edwards, that is a very simple message, which you can hear the crowd there at that particular event in Herbert Park bought into. 
Absolutely. And, you know, despite millions of people dying around the world and thousands mourning the loss of loved ones here in Ireland, Cahill still believes that COVID-19 has been a hoax. And as we've heard, she's made countless false claims about the pandemic, such as saying that masks, social distancing, lockdowns, quarantine are not needed. She's even touted unproven treatments as cures for the disease. And her supporters, her many, many, many supporters are, are lapping it up. Some of her claims have focused on children and the impact, I suppose, of COVID itself on children, of mask wearing on children and the potential of vaccinating children and what impact that might happen. And she's had some very strong messages in that area. She has. And, you know, it is her influence on those who believe her wild assertions that is emerging as an area of serious concern. And in relation to children, she has wrongly claimed that they could die from the vaccine. And she spoke to an interviewer uh, last week. It was uh, uploaded onto the internet. Uh, she was in Copenhagen, where she told the interviewer that she thinks headmasters and others could be arrested if the vaccine is given out in schools. And that's particularly worrying, I think, for the authorities, Rodney, because obviously there is a lower uptake uh, of vaccines among children and among teenagers because while parents might be quite happy to get it for themselves, they're always a little bit more sceptical about giving it to their children because this is all new and we don't really know all of the long-term effects. But Dolores's Cahill message was taking it to a very extreme end without any proof. And you can see that. You can see the anxiety when you look at any of those Facebook posts or you you read tweets or you even hear from people and, and you ask them what are their big concerns if they're so anti, anti-COVID uh, and, and are a follower of, of Cahill and others. And it is this, you know, it is this, this genuine concern that if they give their children the vaccine that it may have uh, awful consequences all of which um, have been uh, uh, disputed and challenged by the authorities, it's worth pointing out. Um, But still, uh, Cahill continues to push this line. One of the messages that she put out was aimed at young adults and the potential for infertility in the future. One, yeah, one of the most outlandish claims is that there will be a generation of infertile people due to the COVID vaccine. The goal will be that we will end up with generations of people that are infertile. So that's why we really need to, um, you know, have this now to stop the injection. And my fear, I haven't had evidence now, but say if, if a significant proportion of the teenagers, 20-year-olds or children are injected and over 10, 20 years they have intercourse and sexual relations with people that are injected because we know there is transmission, it may be that even non-injected people may have. Now, I'm not sure, but that would be my instinct. So that if a certain, if one third or half are injected in 10 or 20 years time, we could have that the whole generations are infertile. Rodney, we spoke in a previous In Focus podcast about the sad case of the late Joe McCarran. Now, at the time... We didn't make any reference to Dolores Cahill, but you've been doing more investigating since. Yeah, this, of course, is the sad story of one of Cahill's followers, uh, Donegal native and COVID denier, Joe McCarran, who 
listeners will remember, died days after being taken from Letterkenny University Hospital by his so-called friends. Well, since then, Gardaí have launched an investigation uh, around allegations that Cahal was one of a number of people involved in the incident, with claims that there had actually been communication between her and McCarran's family and friends on the day that he was removed from hospital. So it's not suggested in any way that she was there. She's not on any of the videos that re- were recorded at the hospital on the day that Joe McCarran left. But the suggestion or the investigation is into whether she was in contact with those people who were there on the day. Yeah, she was referenced in, in a couple of those videos that were posted online. She was also referenced in a social media um, app uh, called Telegram. Uh, but I contacted uh, her uh, on the September the 23rd, I put the allegation to her and she said she had no comment to make. I also asked her if she was a member of the Common Law Society, which McCarran was a member of. And that, of course, is the conspiracy theorist uh, COVID-19 group uh, from Donegal. And she also denied she was a member of that. But photographs online indicate that she isn't just a member of the group, which doesn't recognize laws but one of its most prolific members. Rodney, you mentioned the Common Law Society and that they're a group that don't really believe in the laws of the land that the rest of us are expected to follow. Explain that to me. Well, the Common Law Society, or Common Law Movement as it's also called, holds its own kangaroo courts with its own juries, placing people it believes have broken the law on mock trial. Dolores Cahill is integral uh, to that movement. I've also found photographs online that show a poster on the door of the castle that Cahill owns in Kildare, advertising the fact that a court session was due to take place inside. Now, it's an interesting and very intriguing movement, and it seems to have thousands of members across the UK and Ireland. You mentioned that she has a castle in County Kildare and you looked into some of her business ventures. There is no doubt that she is a very successful woman in her careers. Well, interestingly, Cahill has a wide-ranging portfolio of pandemic-inspired businesses. So over the past year, she's set up or co-founded a, a number of different ventures, including Freedom Travel Alliance, a private air charter which asks for a minimum donation of $100, which is about €86. Um, This charter intends to operate without the need to quarantine, without the need to to wear a mask, without the need of a vaccine. Another business venture aims to create a platform to enable individuals to be custodians of their own heritage. Another one is a, a digital media and social platform that she says curates honest, independent news on topics and that directly affect your life. And she's also seeking $300,000 in funding through a charity called the Institute for Pure and Applied Knowledge to conduct research on COVID testing. And again, members have to pay €20 to join the Freedom Alliance. And of course, until recently, she was an employee of University College Dublin, but that status has changed. Dolores Cahill is no longer working for UCD. We're not sure why, but we do know that her profile is no longer on the university's website and UCD has declined to comment on this. And so finally, Rodney, as the pandemic, we hope, nears an end and the world starts to open up again and we we start to go back to some sort of normal, what next for Dolores Cahill? Because she has invested so much of her time and energy over the last couple of years in fighting against COVID claims and COVID restrictions. Um, Where does she go from here? Well, as you say, I mean, we'll all be watching to see what 
happens next in terms of the pandemic, firstly, where is it all going? And will the support for Dolores Cahill and others be still there once all of this is over? Um, I think it'll be uh, fascinating to see what she does um, now that she has this huge platform, international, global platform, uh, built on an anti-COVID, anti-lockdown uh, um, uh, mentality. So it'll be very interesting to see. And I suppose uh, we really don't know, but we'll just have to watch very closely. Aoife Gallagher, research analyst with the Institute for Strategic Dialogue, a counter-extremism think tank. You have studied anti-vax movements and conspiracy groups who I suppose we associate very much with COVID-19 and the pandemic that we've been dealing with over the last 18 months. But really, these type of movements are absolutely nothing new. Yeah, exactly. Um, these movements have been around for a number of years, but they kind of, you know, would have kept to themselves really and kept to their own um, different subject matters. I mean, they ha- we've had, you know, anti-5G movements, we've had anti-vaccine movements, we've had far-right groups, we've had kind of QAnon followers, and they, a lot of the time, operate kind of under the surface online and away from the public eye. Um, but they've also created a very kind of wide-ranging online ecosystem, and they're very linked to international groups as well. So when the pandemic came around, they essentially kind of all coalesced under, you know, COVID-related conspiracy theories, essentially. And that online ecosystem where they all kind of operate, that also just kind of exploded um, throughout the pandemic as well. And that's kind of why, you know, they've been um, more in the public eye, I suppose, around this time. Why do people choose to, I suppose, get involved in these sort of groups? But perhaps more challengingly, why do they believe these conspiracy theories? Yeah, I mean, there's a kind of, um, you know, misunderstanding, I think, about a lot of these groups. Like people tend, you know, it's very easy to dismiss people that believe in these um, conspiracy theories and call them crazy or call them stupid or say that they're hateful people. But, you know, what's really happened is that people have been brought in by very compelling theories that our brains actually really like. So, I mean, conspiracy theories in general, they tend to increase in times of social upheaval around shocking world events. If you think about 9-11, you know, 9-11 was the catalyst for the the explosion, really, of online conspiracy theories, you know, about, you know, 20 years ago at this age. But what they really do is they give people very simple answers. You know, the average person, um, unless you're suitably qualified, you're not really going to understand the intricacies of how a virus spreads or of how variants are formed or kind of understand, you know, complicated statistics around infections and things like that. But the, you know, the brain finds it easy to kind of grasp onto the idea that this might be a coordinated plan by, you know, governments and healthcare and media and things like that. And that does give people a sense of control. It gives people an idea that they know the answers, that they know what's going on. But the other thing that these movements do very, very well is they play on people's distrust in their institutions. Um, and everyone has a certain level of distrust, you know, in their government or their media, unfortunately, or their healthcare system. But what these movements do is they manipulate that distrust and they kind of kind of bring it into an alternative reality where absolutely no one within those institutions can be trusted at all. The role of social media, I suppose, has brought this to a new level, though, because propaganda or misinformation is nothing new. It goes back. God, it goes back to to world wars um, and and probably much earlier than that as well. But the advent of Facebook and Twitter and other social media sites like that, they have allowed, I suppose, what might have been very small groups to get quite a large following. Yeah, exactly. And I think we're hearing, you know, a lot more about this in recent weeks as Facebook comes under, you know, a lot of fire for the, the kind of internal research that they've hidden from the public about this exact issue. 
Um, you know, it's very obvious that the algorithms that the likes of Facebook or Instagram or TikTok and, the, you know, the, the algorithms that they use, they push divisive content because it gets more clicks and shares. That is fairly, you know, agreed upon by people that, that study these kinds of, of movements. Um, and, you know, essentially, you know, that is kind of the reason why, you know, a lot of these movements have exploded. I think, you know, around, especially at the, at the start of the pandemic, it wasn't that people were searching for these kind of theories. It was just kind of landing into their Facebook feed because that was the stuff that was driving engagement at the time. And for example, this week, we saw a whistleblower, Frances Haugen, in front of the US Senate talking about what she claims Facebook allows to happen on its platform. The company intentionally hides vital information from the public, from the U.S. government, and from governments around the world. The documents I have provided to Congress prove that Facebook has repeatedly misled the public about what its own research reveals about the safety of children, the efficacy of its artificial intelligence systems, and its role in spreading divisive and extreme messages. 20 years ago or 30 years ago, to get into a conspiracy theory, you would have had to go to like, you know, a pokey little video shop, video shop or a book shop or something and actually seek it out. But now they're just, you know, they're coming to you all the time just on social media. So they're very accessible. And I think that's, you know, that's also been, you know, a big element of why they've exploded now. That was Aoife Gallagher of the Institute for Strategic Dialogue. And you can read more of Rodney Edwards' investigations in the Sunday Independent. I'm Kevin Doyle, and this week's In Focus was produced by Mary Carroll, researched by Tabitha Monaghan, engineered by Gavin Hennessy, with sound design by John Smith. You can listen wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>